0: God's word that we'll consider this morning is from uh, John chapter 3 where Jesus takes this same teaching that he's been uh, giving or living out with the devil in Matthew chapter 4 and he applies it to to a man named Nicodemus. Uh, And so we're going to read here from from. That, from John chapter 3, it's got the famous verse in it, John three sixteen. 16. Uh, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born Jesus answered, "'Very truly, I tell you, "'no one can enter the kingdom of God "'unless they are born of water and the Spirit. "'Flesh gives birth to flesh, "'but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. "'You should not be surprised at my saying, "'You must be born again. "'The wind blows wherever it pleases. "'You hear its sound, but you cannot tell "'where it comes from or where it is going. "'So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. "'How can this be?' Nicodemus asked. "'You are Israel's teacher,' said Jesus. "'And do you not understand these things?' For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to take a look here over the next weeks, uh, all the lessons take us through the gospel of John, and we're going to see what we asked ourselves last week. How would our lives look if we could consistently apply the gospel to our lives? What would it look like? And today we're hearing Jesus call the, the victory that he won over, uh, over the devil and saying, here, have a new life. Start over. Uh, and so let's do that. Now, do you realize that one of the founders of one of the greatest movements of Christianity and the movement that we are a part of was essentially a 37-year-old convert? Um. Martin Luther was a monk and one of the most religious men in his life at the time. And yet, it was only at the age of 37 that he said, the doors of heaven sprang open to me. That moment, though, changed his life. And he took on some of the biggest political fights the world has ever seen. Martin Luther, 37. Um, How about this guy? You know this guy? This is uh, William Wilberforce. And you know what William Wilberforce is famous for? He was one of the most influential figures in the end of the slave trade. Not the American slave ownership practices, but just the end of the international, the global slave trade. And William Wilberforce grew up mostly irreligious, kind of loosely religious but it was at the age of 27 that he was sitting in church one Easter morning and he said it was like it was like all of creation praised the creator. He just he all of a sudden heard the whole of creation praise the creator And, and from that moment on in his life he devoted his time and his energy to ending the global slave trade. How about this guy? Many more of you probably know him. It was alive in, in many of your lives. This is, this is Chuck Colson, uh, the great hatchet man of, of what? Uh, of the, the Nixon campaign and the hatchet man of the Watergate scandal. Chuck Colson also grew up mostly irreligious. His mother actually told him to go and be a pastor for social reasons. Can you imagine that? Telling your kid, go be a pastor for social reasons. People will like you. You'll be special uh, if you go and and be a pastor. But Colson said religion had basically no impact on his life. Uh, And he was, uh, what, 40-ish? He was about 40, 42, I think. 40 years old when he professed faith in Jesus and he started some of the most uh, influential prison ministries that the world's seen. Lastly, Kanye Um, West—he's probably the going to be the most controversial conversion of my days. If it sticks, everybody's going to be a little shocked. Here is a man who has experienced the very height of fame and wealth and significance in the American scene. It's—it's hard to imagine somebody who is more popular than Kanye West. You know, he's 42. 42, and for the first time in his life, he's leaving behind all of the emptiness of, of his money and popularity and, and significance to find out what the gospel offers him. Uh, and and he's, he's really, he's checking it out, right? Here it is. Every one of these people discovers the, the new life that Jesus offers. And I think there's a huge lesson here for us. You know, the biggest threat to your new life, my new life, us experiencing the new life that God wants to give us in Jesus, the biggest threat is not our age. The biggest threat is not our morality or our lack thereof. The biggest threat to our experiencing this new life is not our religious background or the lack of our religious background. What is it? What is it? Jesus wants to tell us today what's the biggest threat to us experiencing his new life and how that new life comes, that new life and how it comes. And so let's get into that. Now, Jesus says to Nicodemus this morning, right in the, the first verses there, um, he tells us about this man named Nicodemus. And you would think that if there was ever a man who had found out the foundation and the secret of a great life, a meaningful life, it would be this man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a member of the Jewish ruling council. And so what that means is Nicodemus is a male that already in a patriarchal ancient world puts him in the top 50% of all people. Um, Nicodemus is a senior male, he's an adult male, he's a, an, an elder male, which puts him in the, like the top 20, 25% of everybody uh, in the, the Jewish nation at the time. Nicodemus is a Pharisee, which it puts him in like the top 5% of people. And then on top of that, elite of elite, Nicodemus is a member of the ruling council, which means he is one of 70 men who makes all the decisions for the Jewish nation, right? He, he is one of 70 guys. He's, he's more elite than the United States Senate because there is no Congress. There's no House of Representatives to argue with. It's, it's 70 men and it, the buck stops with him. So you think if there's anybody who's ever figured out what it means to have a good life, a really good life, right? A pinnacle achieving, achieving kind of life. It is this man, Nicodemus, And yet, what what does Jesus say to him? Jesus says to him this very pointed statement, doesn't he? He says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Wow, right? Wow. That's a, a pretty pointed statement. You know, even if you're a person who doesn't have a specific idea in your head when you hear the statement, born again, you know, Conway Yet West has been called a, a born-again Christian. Even if you don't have something in your mind when you hear born-again, I think we all can get a sense pretty quickly. You know, born-again Christians are are bad people, aren't they? They're people who were drug addicts or or or, or pornographers. Uh, they were really immoral. They were just messed up in their lives. And those are the people who need to get born again. Or they're die-hard religious conservatives. You know, they're just ah, oh, yeah, about everything, aren't they? Those are the born again Christians. But, but Nicodemus, I mean, he's, he's like as religious as they come. I mean, and he's a nice guy about it. Did you? Sometimes people feel like Nicodemus must have been a little disingenuous. But, but Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the middle of the night. Uh, no, no. What, what person sneaks out in the middle of the night to be sarcastic? I don't think Nicodemus was sarcastic here, and he calls Jesus rabbi. He's very gentle and and sincere with him. I think Nicodemus had a a real tenderness in his heart for this guy who who was rising through the ranks and was just such a unique figure. And yet Jesus tells him, you must be born again. Wow. Wow. Isn't that, a, isn't that a shocker? I guess that shocks me a lot. I mean, can you imagine God telling Martin Luther, you must be born again? And yet that's exactly what happened. It wasn't until 37 where he, he finally kind of, boom, got it, that the doors of heaven sprang open to him. You know, that tells us something, doesn't it? it tells us something that the foundations and the secret to a, a new life cannot be more traditional morality or religiosity. The foundations of of a new life is not being a better person. The foundation of a new life is not a more religious life. It's not taking your worship attendance from twice a month to one time a month, or twice a month to once every week. That's what I meant to say, but I said it the wrong way. Twice a month to four times a month is what I should have said. The foundation of, of a great life is, is not cleaning up your act and getting yourself all, all straightened out. You know, if traditional morality, if, if traditional religiosity, very religious life was the secret to a, a new life, then Nicodemus already had it. He didn't need anything else. You know, he already had it figured out, didn't he? And As a pastor, I think this is the, this is the number one threat that I I see to our faith. The number one threat to to people's faith in in my life has not been their abhorrent or their their deviant sexuality. It's not their on-again, off-again worship attendance. It's, It's not their love to argue about various political points. I've seen it in my own life. You know, the times where I am the furthest from God are the times where I thought where I experienced the most conflict. The times where I I thought I had my act all together. right? The times where I thought I could do it myself. The greatest threat to experiencing the new life that God wants to give is thinking I don't need it. It's when I think I don't need the new life that I am most in danger of it. And so that's the greatest threat to my life and your life, isn't it? Tell me, isn't it true that the times where you have been the furthest from God is where you thought you had your life kind of all together? You were getting it done. You were doing your thing. That's when all of a sudden you, you experienced the conflict. You experienced the, the great tragedies and the crises and and you've struggled to function and perform in the ways you did but for some reason you still thought you had it all together that's the greatest threat jesus says to us experiencing this this new life it's when it's about me and lifting myself up and so what is the foundation here to a new life what's the secret to a great life jesus tells us he says no one can enter the kingdom of god unless they are born of water and the Spirit. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless you're born of water and the Spirit. Doesn't he say that? And of course, what he's telling us here is he's saying two things. You have to go through a supernatural cleansing, right? And you need a supernatural giving of life. You need to have a, a supernatural cleansing that you experience, you go through. And you have to have a supernatural blowing of a new life in you. He's pulling out a picture out of Genesis in, back in Genesis, maybe, maybe you remember, God uses this picture and he says that there's darkness over the waters and that the Spirit of God is hovering over the deep. Uh, and, and so you can see there's water, there's Spirit. God is saying here through Jesus, you've got to have a new creation. That's the foundation, that's the secret to a new life and there's, there's no other way to get that. Now I realize that a lot of us, probably probably most of us, huh? We're baptized as children. So we we experience this gift of of new life as a child. And yet I could say, I think fairly certain, that every one of us who has really grasped this life as our own, who has a new life that we live out, it's because we've gone through something as an adult that, that makes it our own. You know, I can look at my life, and I would not say that these are the times where I was brought to faith, but I can look at my life and I can tell you pretty particularly, you know, this was the time where I really wrestled with whether or not God existed. And I, I said to myself, I don't think God exists. And then I I got shifted around, something happened to me, I changed, right? And I walked away saying, Oh yeah, I think God does exist. And that wasn't a day or two, that was months. You know, and then there was the other time where I said, I cannot live without the acceptance and the approval of all of the people in my life. And then God worked in me, and I, I finally was like, oh, no, I can't. The only acceptance and approval I need is God's. And I can, I can do my thing in my life without the acceptance and the approval of everybody around me. Right? So it's, it's when the new life has become real to you, you can look back at that, and, and you can say, I have been washed by water and the Spirit. I've got that and I can get into the kingdom of heaven. So there's two things, right? isn't there? There's the first thing is Jesus says you've got to pass through something. You've got to pass through into a, a new life. And what Jesus is drawing on here, right? he even says it later on, he's, he's drawing on the picture of, of childbirth. No kid has ever birthed itself, has it? I mean I've been in the I've been there a couple times for the birth of a couple kids and you know, moms and and we always joke about I think it's about done, right? The baby's about done, it's about time to, you know. But it's not like the baby's inside there knocking and saying, Hey, let me out. I mean, I've never heard that. I I suppose it could theoretically happen, but it, it doesn't work that way, at least not ever that I've seen. You know, salvation comes about because somebody else works and somebody else spills an incredible amount of blood and sweat and tears. That's how the birth comes about. That's how your birth comes about too. That's how Jesus births you, is through incredible amount of blood and sweat and tears and work so that you can have life. And and that's something that you've got to pass through. You've got to experience that. You know, the process of getting a new life for you and for me, it's not just about saying, I repent of the bad stuff I did. But as Jesus says here to Nicodemus, it's even saying, I repent of the good things I did. And I leave that whole life behind. You know, when you're, when you're passing through tough times in your life, is that a time where you turn away from God? Or is, is that a time that you can look to God and say, hey, thank you for letting me pass through this experience to get washed clean. I am not worthy on my own of your acceptance and your love and your approval, God. And you need to wash me clean, not just of the bad things I've done, but even the good stuff that I think counts for so much, but it's worth nothing. That's that's the first part of this, is you've got to pass through that that process of cleansing. And then Jesus says, you've got to look someplace else. At the end of this section, he says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Up. And, and we, we heard, we, we could have heard a little bit, we've heard this story in the past where what happened is that there were snakes in the wilderness that bit the people of Israel because they were grumbling and they were complaining. And so Moses was told, put up a pole, put up a pole and let the people all look at it. And it's on that pole that you put a snake. And so it's almost like you have to look at the very thing that is killing you. You have to look at your own sin. And then God says, here through Nicodemus, through Jesus, just as that snake was lifted up, so Jesus is lifted up. And when you and I want to leave behind our old life and you get a new life, you've got to start looking someplace else in life. Real faith is, is a time where you start to say, you know What? I'm going to stop looking at all of my accomplishments and my work, and I'm going to start focusing on what Jesus has done in my life. That's where your eyes finally get opened up to all the new things that God is doing in your world. And, and God puts it this way. He says that the, the wind blows, and you don't see it, but you always see the effects. See, how do you know that God is finally working in your life and the lives of the people around you. You're not going to see it in your own heart, but you will see it in other people's lives. So when you start looking at the the cross, you're going to see other things happening in other people's lives. And then you know that the new life is coming into you. You can have, you can definitely have a, a new life. That's what Jesus wants to tell you and I this morning. Can you pass through the experiences of your life wherever God might take you? And can you stop looking for, for yourself and what you're getting and see where God might be, be putting you? Where might God might be showing you you're going? Sometimes I ask some of you guys, and I, I say, you know, so what God, what's God been up to in your life? And you can tell that the question kind of makes you feel a little uncomfortable. And I count to like five, and then I move on, because I don't want to make it awkward for forever. Right, but God has said this morning, the wind blows where, where, wherever it pleases, and you don't see the wind, but you do see its effects. And if you've experienced the new life, the new birth, you're going to see... God at work in your life and the lives of other people around you. And it's not going to look like all of the things you think it's going to look like. You've got to start to look as Jesus would have you look, right? Look at that cross where where God's upside-down world exists, but you will see it. You can get a new life. And so let's pray this morning that we would get a new life. Huh? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the incredible examples that you have given us in the last uh, centuries, millennia of the Christian life of people who get a new life. We've got Nicodemus. We didn't even tell the end of his story. Martin Luther, uh, Augustine, William Wilberforce, Chuck Colson. And we could go on and on with the list of people who through your, your word, through your death and resurrection, find the new life truly in Jesus Christ. We pray that you would lead us to repent of our our self-focus, of thinking that we can get these things done ourselves through our own work and our own efforts, and and take us and our focus and put it on you and your life for us. And there we would experience the new life. Let us go through these difficult and painful experiences, whatever they might be in front of us, and find that new life that you are giving to us through your word. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And in his name we pray, amen.